Seahorn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I want to talk about something where I think that we can sometimes fall into what our culture, our society, our world teaches us is the way that life goes. And we can kind of miss out on, I think, taking a biblical and Jesus-centered perspective on a particular issue. And so I want to start out by reading a passage from one of my favorite books. It's called Nonviolence. The subtitle is 25 Lessons from the History of a Dangerous Idea. It's written by Mark Kurlansky. And so I just want to read the beginning of this book. Lesson number one from human history on the subject of nonviolence is that there is no word for it. The concept has been praised by every major religion. Throughout history, there have been practitioners of nonviolence. Yet, while every major language has a word for violence, there's no word to express the idea of nonviolence except that it is not another idea. It is not violence. In Sanskrit, the word for violence is himsa, harm, and the negation of himsa, just as nonviolence is the negation of violence, is ahimsa, not doing harm. But if ahimsa is not doing harm, what is it doing? The only possible explanation for the absence of a proactive word to express nonviolence is that not only the political establishments, but the cultural and intellectual establishments of all societies have viewed nonviolence as a marginal point of view. And then he goes on throughout the rest of the book. This is not written from a Christian perspective. And so he talks about how nonviolence has been inspired by and practiced by people of all different faiths throughout history. But he talks about what it looks like for people in the Christian community and from wars that started happening that unless you're a big time student of history, which I'm not. So I look back at wars that happened in 80, 200, 300, 400, and I'm like, I've never even heard of these wars before Um, up until wars that you and I are more familiar with. You start to see things like the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and World War I and World War II. And he goes through and he talks about how in these cases, he talks about the Crusades as well. There were people in the Christian faith who examined the teaching of Jesus and they saw that Jesus seemed to have this, um, and this is one of the things we talked about before when Jesus gathered with his disciples at the Last Supper. And he said, I'm giving you a new command. Love one another. They looked at that and said, okay, how does war and how does killing match up with Jesus' law of love? And there were people who seriously spent time thinking about this and I would imagine agonizing over it because if you stand up and say, I don't think that's the way we're supposed to live, 
that's going counter everything that's happening in the culture and the world around you. But there were people still who said, you know what? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with what it seems like Jesus is teaching. And I have a feeling that as you're listening to even the very beginning, the first little moments of an idea of what we're going to be talking about in this episode, that there are in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind, some ideas that are popping up and you're saying, oh, Alan, you, you're so naive. You're too young. You don't know what you're talking about. You'll figure this stuff out eventually as you get older. You'll realize that part of being in the world means that war has to happen and violence against people who commit violence is the only way to react. Um, well, I want to take a look at now, not a passage from a book that you know was written in the last 50 years or whatever, but I want to look at a moment of Jesus teaching and just like last episode was, this is going to be from the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, I, I kind of, um, <laughs> I kind of set you up if your reaction is, man, you don't know what you're talking about. It's the only way to, to do things. This is just what it looks like to exist in 2018 or 19 or 20 or whatever, whenever you're listening to this. Um, actually, there were a lot of people who came to believe that not only does Jesus' law of love fly in the face of the idea of violence, but some people came to believe that government at its very nature had to be pagan, couldn't be Christian, because so many things fell to the government that, you know, would involve not responding with love, but taking harsh, strong, violent action, and they couldn't reconcile how that fit with following Jesus. And so in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, starting in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And in this passage, what Jesus does is he highlights these three ideas that I think really need further explanation for us to understand culturally what was going on here. So he starts first and he says, you've heard it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. This was uh, in Exodus and I think it was Deuteronomy. I don't have it right in front of me right now, but this was what was laid out in the law of Moses. But it was set up for the way that the courts would work. So it was saying, okay, if there are damages done to somebody, there need to be reparations that are made. That's how things can get 
equaled out and how society can continue to move forward. That was set up to happen on a governmental level. But what happened by Jesus' time was that people were starting to practice that just in their personal relationships. So if someone did something that harmed them, they would respond in kind. And, hey, you punch me in the face, I punch you in the face. You steal something from me, I steal something from you. You accidentally knock out my tooth, you know, like eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I'm going to knock out one of your teeth on purpose. So Jesus starts with this, which is the common understanding, the way that people that he's talking to were living life at the time. He says, you've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, I'm guessing that that little sentence right there, do not resist an evil person, is something that makes all of us go, wait, what in the world? That doesn't make any sense. And our minds immediately start to run to some of the practical stuff of like, okay, what does this mean if, you know, some harm is about to come to me or to my family? What, I don't resist that? That's crazy. Uh, What does that look like in wars where, you know, you probably immediately think of the Nazis in World War II and you just go, you're not supposed to resist that evil? This doesn't make sense. Well, that word that Jesus used there in the Greek, the word that is translated as resist, um, it really isn't probably a full enough translation Because what that word really was talking about was something that would be used mostly in the context of battle. And so he was really trying to get across this idea of don't set yourself against, like drawing up lines for battle, an evil person. Don't try to match with, don't try to compare, don't try to stand against in a eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth sort of a thing. You're not getting into this fight where they do something violent, you do something violent back. That's what he's trying to say here when he says don't resist an evil person. He's saying don't line up for battle against an evil person in the way that they're lining up for battle because that doesn't match up with the law of love that Jesus teaches. And so he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And I don't know the way that you've heard this idea talked about before. You know, it's kind of entered in a lot of ways the cultural lexicon and you hear people say, you know, well, you're just supposed to turn the other cheek. And I think we've heard it often enough that we have one idea of what that looks like in our minds. We think, okay, I guess that means if I get attacked, I'm supposed to just stand there and say, thank you, please keep beating me up or please keep doing whatever harm that you're doing to me. But if we understand the cultural context behind it, what Jesus was describing here is something totally different. So, It's going to be hard to express this 
in words. You almost need a visual demonstration because Jesus doesn't say, if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And if you dig into what this means, to what would have been going on immediately, if someone gets slapped on the right cheek, then we get a deeper understanding of what he's talking about. Because if you are lining up facing somebody, if you're right-handed, which a good majority of people are, then if you go to slap them, if you're going to slap them on the right cheek, you're going to be slapping them uh, with your right hand, but it's going to be a backhand slap right? It, try to picture that. It was when I read it, I'm like, okay, that I have to try to visualize what this would look like. But what Jesus is saying here is if somebody backhand slaps you, because that's what's implied here by getting slapped on the right cheek, because in ancient Israel and really still to this day in some parts of the Middle East, the left hand was considered something that was used for um, unclean things. And so it, kind of the implication there, and I think this is what it's getting at, is that it was used, the left hand was used for wiping after you use the bathroom. And so it wasn't something, you don't greet people and involve your left hand. You don't, um, you know, it's just not something that you do. Your left hand isn't involved in uh, things that involve other people. In fact, I think it was in 2017, or it might have even been this year, really recently, McDonald's put out an ad in, I think it was Dubai, somewhere in the Middle East, and it had a picture of someone holding a Big Mac in both hands. And even to this day, that's a big no-no because you don't, your left hand is an unclean thing in that culture. It's like, no, nobody here would ever eat with their left hand. So they use their right hand for pretty much anything public. So if you're, you're getting hit with someone's right hand on your right cheek, it means that they have done a backhand slap. And what that would communicate in that culture is... I, as the person who's doing the hitting, consider myself to be more valuable and above you. I'm a first-class citizen and you're second-class or less. And so what Jesus is talking about here is if somebody does this, somebody backhand slaps you and communicates to you that you don't have value the same way I have value, Jesus says, turn to them the other cheek. And what this does is turning the other cheek. Now you're facing the other side of your face at them, which isn't saying, hey, if you're going to beat me up, make sure you finish the job. What it's saying is, if you're going to try to fight me, you need to understand that we have equal value as people. Because if you get into a fist fight in the ancient world, with somebody, you're immediately placing them on your same level of value. 
and you're saying, okay, I'm a first-class citizen, you're a first-class citizen too. So there's not going to be any backhand slaps. If we're fighting, we're going to be straight on fighting. And I came across this idea and a couple others um, from a book called Red Letter Revolution by Colin McCartney. And he goes through and he breaks down some of the ideas of what's happening here in these few little verses as Jesus teaches what he says, a revolutionary new way of doing things. Because when Jesus came as the Messiah, there had been this expectation that had built up over generations. And we, we've talked a little bit about the history that the nation of Israel had been through, the oppression that they had lived under as they were conquered by multiple different countries that came in and then dictated the terms of essentially Israel's surrender and subjugation and oppression. And as that was all happening, there was this building desire for the Messiah, the anointed one, to finally come and make this stuff right. There was this understanding that when the Messiah came, he would be a conquering king, he would throw off all these oppressors, and he would come as basically a warlord in some ways until Israel had reestablished themselves and then peace could begin. And what Jesus is communicating by one, not coming as a warlord, but two, then talking about nonviolent ways to resist. You notice there's a few different options when uh, you're dealing with oppression. You can violently resist, which is what people were hoping that Jesus as the Messiah was going to do. There were religious zealots that were terrorists that would uh, assassinate Romans and go about trying to revolt in a way that just meant, hey, we're going to have to kill the people that are oppressing us and then we can go from there. So that was one option. The other option is kind of just passive, just take it. Whatever happens, you know, this is, I guess, our lot in life and we just have to wait here and we have to suffer and it's too bad, it's unlucky for us. But Jesus here is teaching a third way. It's not passive resistance and it's not armed violent resistance. It's nonviolence. It's this idea of saying there's a different way to resist. You know, it's kind of what, to put it in context that we maybe are a little bit more familiar with, it's the kind of thing that Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and others and Martin Luther King Jr. have practiced saying, hey, we're going to do some peaceful protests. We're going to do some hunger strikes. We're going to do some sit-ins. We're going to resist. It's not going to be just, hey, I'm going to take whatever you send my way. There's going to be some action on my part, but it's not going to be violent action. Because, um, you know, there's, throughout this book, Nonviolence, he talks about the idea that the argument 
between violence and nonviolence when it actually happens in a real-world setting. Uh, it's not saying, hey, this has got to be the outcome, this has got to be the way things go, you know, but he says as soon as the nonviolent people respond in violence, then the nonviolent approach has already lost. And so what Jesus is talking about here is this new way of resisting that doesn't mean armed conflict, but it also doesn't mean just kind of letting people walk all over us. It's this third creative way to respond to oppression and violence and attack. And so he goes on and he says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, what he's talking about there, they lived, you might remember seeing throughout scripture that Jesus tells stories about people who, people who are borrowing money and people who end up getting thrown in jail because they can't repay what they've borrowed. This was something that was fairly common in Jesus' day. People would essentially, uh, when their taxes came due, because the Roman government was especially oppressive with their taxes, when taxes came due, people would go to basically today's version of those, um, those payday loan places, the places that offer cash right now, but they charge extreme interest rates. And then when the bill is due, people found themselves going, well, I, I still don't have the money. I never had it in the first place, but I, I can't pay you back now. And that would end up getting to the point where, like Jesus is describing here, there would be somebody who would sue someone for even their clothes. So can you imagine getting to the point where you have two things left in your possession? The things Jesus talks about here, your shirt and your coat. You have two things left in your possession and someone's willing to sue you for your second to last physical possession because you owe them money and they're taking it to that level. This actually happened. There were laws against you were allowed to sue people and take their shirt, which that would have been for the ancient world, their undergarment, but you weren't allowed to take their coat. That was the last possession that people would have because poor people would use that uh, when they slept as a pillow or a covering or something like that. And so it was illegal to sue somebody for their coat, kind of their, uh, their outer clothing. But you could sue them for, as it says in this passage, their shirt, their underclothing. And what Jesus is saying to do here is he's saying if somebody tries to sue you and take your second to last possession, go ahead and just give them everything that you have. Now, again, on the face of it, this can sound like Okay, Jesus is saying just roll over and play dead and let people walk all over you. But he's not. What he's saying is this is a, a scene that would unfold in court, right? So someone's suing you. Uh, 
They're trying to take your undergarments. He said, go ahead and give them that in court. But then actually go ahead and just take off your coat, your overcoat, give them everything that you have, which would leave you standing naked in the court. Now, for us, you know, you hear so many people have this dream. Maybe it's a one-time thing. Maybe it's a recurring thing where they imagine that they show up to school or work or they're standing up in front of an audience and they're naked. And when we hear people tell that, what's the thing that we immediately think of is, wow, I would be so ashamed if that was me standing up in front of people naked. Now, we miss this because in the ancient world, it actually, it would have been the opposite. And it's really hard to even make our minds think this way. But the shame in the ancient world would not be on the person who was naked, but it would be on the people who were looking at the person who was naked. And so what Jesus is teaching is that if you get to a point in this unfair economic system that somebody would say, I'm going to sue you for the second to last item that you have in your earthly possession. You just go ahead and give them literally everything that you have and force everybody in that courtroom to look at the ridiculousness of this situation at the unfairness, at the horrible thing that's taking place, and they will be ashamed. So you see again here, uh, this second way that Jesus is teaching, nonviolent, but it's resistance, right? It's not just roll over, let it happen. So he goes on. The third thing he talks about here, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And you might be familiar with this idea. The Roman soldiers, they were allowed to just walk through whatever town they were in and recruit people that would have to carry their bags, their stuff. So these Roman soldiers in a a territory that they occupied as they walked from one place to another, they never had to carry their stuff because they could just grab some unsuspecting person that was going about their day and they could force them to carry their, their bags, their stuff that they needed to move from point A to point B. But they were only allowed to have somebody go with them for one mile, which isn't really much comfort because if you can imagine you're going about your day all of a sudden you have to carry this pack for somebody one mile in a direction that you weren't going. And obviously that's going to leave you one mile away from what you were in the middle of doing. So this is a journey. They've disrupted you for two miles in the middle of your day. You have to go out with them and then you have to walk back on your own. And they actually, the Romans were super organized. They actually had mile markers that were set up along the main roads. And so they would know when you had walked with them a mile. And the Roman centurions, they had regulations in place to prevent, I guess you would imagine, the abuse of power or 
um, creating, you know, a next level resentment from the people that they were oppressing, that they were only allowed to have somebody travel with them for one mile, and then they had to send them on their way. So Jesus is saying, if somebody does this, they recruit you to carry their stuff for one mile. Go with them for two miles. And we have this phrase that we say that we're supposed to go the extra mile, right, when it comes to helping people. But again, what Jesus is talking about here is, is something different than what we initially think of. Because he is again telling his followers to force these Romans to see the ridiculousness of what they're doing. Once you get to the mile and they say, okay, you're done carrying my stuff, say, no, 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 I'm going to keep carrying it and keep walking. Well, these Roman soldiers know they're only allowed to have you carry their bags for one mile. And they're going, I'm going to get in trouble if somebody finds out that I forced this person to carry my bag further than I was allowed to. So can you imagine the, the humor of this situation? An armed Roman soldier that's now trying to get the person they forced to carry their pack for one mile. They're trying to get them to stop. And this person saying, no, 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 I'm just going to keep walking with you. All the while, the Roman soldier worried that he's going to get their version, I don't know what it would have been, of written up for insubordination, for breaking one of the rules, because this person is saying, no, I want you to see what you're forcing me to do. I want you to feel what it feels like when somebody just imposes their will on you and makes you do something that makes no sense that you would never choose to do. And when Jesus talks about this nonviolent resistance, the way of if somebody slaps you, backhands you, how do you react? If somebody sues you for your second to last possession, how do you react? If somebody stops you in the middle of what you're doing and forces you to basically be their slave for one mile, how do you react? And what he's teaching here is a different way than what the Jewish people expected the Messiah to do. Because it was ingrained in their culture, just like it's been ingrained in, you know, probably almost every culture throughout human history. That violence needs to be resisted with violence. But Jesus is teaching, don't resist an evil person. And remember, that word resist means don't draw battle lines and fight the fight the way that the evil person is fighting it. Don't respond to violence with violence. And you see this when Jesus was arrested by um, the religious people, and then they met up with the state a little bit later. Uh, you see that Jesus' disciples, they were ready to take up swords. They were ready to have a violent conflict. Um, one of the arresting people's ears got cut off in the fray. And you might remember Jesus didn't celebrate this. He 
healed this man's ear. Because even when he was presented with the option to use violence, to use physical force and attack his way out of what he was facing, he didn't do it. Along the way, as he faced the excruciating horror of being tortured and crucified, being murdered in a way that would have been unbelievably painful. At any point in time, Jesus had the power, the authority, and what we would say is the right to call down violence from heaven, right? To get him out of this situation and to emerge triumphant. But Jesus did things that in his day, even people, it didn't make sense. It's like, no, the Messiah is supposed to come and demolish the Romans, and then we'll have peace. And Jesus is saying, no, I I came to bring peace, you're right, but not through violence. And for us, just like it would have been to Jesus' original audience, that's a really foreign idea. Because we think, no, violence needs to be met with violence. It's just, it's only practical. It only makes sense. It only works if violence is met with violence. But Jesus is teaching, like he always did, when he went counter to the general understanding of his culture and society and world, he's teaching a better way. Now, he's inviting us into something that means we have to spend some time rethinking. I mean, if you're like me and if you live in the United States, you notice that before our our sporting events and before a bunch of other things, the national anthem is sung. And I want you to think for a moment about those words where we're celebrating the bombs bursting in air. It's sung in like a really excited, happy, jubilant moment, right? And so we kind of have to reevaluate what it looks like if we want to be citizens of this kingdom that Jesus came to establish. We say, hang on a second. It doesn't seem that Jesus celebrated and lauded violence. And even when he had those options available to him, instead, he chose a better way. And I'm guessing, really, this has been my goal, um, because this is a really tough idea. I'm guessing that as you're hearing this, maybe, you know, probably some people turn this off earlier thinking, this idiot doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't, you know, he just needs to live a little bit and then he'll get it. Um, But what we see Jesus teaching is the law of love. And I think if we want to be serious followers of Jesus, then we need to seriously wrestle with, okay, what that I just take for granted about life what that I just assume is the way the world works and the way it always works, and that means that it's right and it's good and it's justified and it's fine. 
what of that in light of saying, I want to primarily, number one priority, belong as a follower of Jesus instead of any other identification that I find. I think we have to think long and hard about what that looks like because humanity, we have an unbelievable appetite for violence. But what we see Jesus teaching, what we see Jesus practicing and living out is something that we look at and we're like, that doesn't even make sense. I don't even know how that would work. And he invites us to love one another in this whole different way. Not reacting to violence with violence, but also not reacting to violence with rolling over and playing dead. With this peaceful, active resistance that says, no, 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 things can't go on the way they've been going on. There's a better way. And that's what Jesus invites us into.